Welcome to Latino Vote 21, a pop-up podcast from Gotham Gazette. I am Eli Valentin, a contributing Gotham Gazette columnist and political analyst. Now that the general election is over, our eyes will turn to other matters that will equally grab our political attention. One of those matters is the very important redistricting process. This process occurs every 10 years right after the census information is made available. Across the city and state, we have seen a rise in the Latino population. In fact, the census data shows that Latinos in New York have increased by over half a million. This should have implications for how districts will be drawn. This episode will focus on this redistricting process and Latinos. I am honored to be joined by three distinguished guests who are working this redistricting process, which is currently taking place. With us today is Lucia Gomez, who is currently the political director at the New York City Central Labor Council. Also with us is Dr. Carlos Valgas Ramos. Dr. Valgas Ramos is director for public policy, external and media relations and development at Hunter College's Center for Puerto Rican Studies. And we also have Frederick Vélez Burgos, the National Director of Civic Education and Engagement at the Hispanic Federation. I want to begin right off the bat um, and, and want the, our audience to understand what is the process behind uh, redistricting. We know it happens every 10 years, but I think outside of that, uh, there are a lot of folks that, that need a, a primer, if you will, on how this happens, what transpires, who are the players involved and who makes the final decision. So Lucia, I'm, I'm gonna pick on you first because uh, this is not your first rodeo and uh, you've, you've worked on redistricting issues. And in fact, I'm, I'm gonna, I've highlighted his name before but I, I know you've worked with Angelo Falcón in the past and may he rest in peace on redistricting and uh, so you, you again, you know the lingo, you know the process. So uh, can you explain a little bit what, what is involved with this redistricting process? Thank you so much, Eli, and thanks for, for having me on. You always find a way to get me to choke up. So yes, um, this, is, this will be my third redistricting process. Um, I am, got involved in 2000 with the Puerto Rican Legal Defense and Education Fund, now called Latino Justice and through Angelo Falcón at the Policy Institute within the Puerto Rican Legal Defense Funds. And then after that, they never found a way to get me out of it. Uh, Juan Cartagena and Angelo Falcón uh, were kind of pivotal in ensuring the Latino community was always actively engaged, not just on the legal part, but on the part of advocacy and ensuring that uh, Latinos were engaged in the process, right? And I think, um, you know, the process is, is could be convoluted depending on you know um, what lens you're viewing it from, but it is the process immediately following every decennial census. You know the year followed by the zero. Um, once we receive uh, census numbers, the point is to ensure that each political district, each political um, boundary that has uh, diverse ge geography and diverse populations are e the populations even distributed amongst each political jurisdiction, right? Each political boundary, uh, whether it is, and it's at every level. It is at the congressional level, at the state Senate, and at the state assembly level. And this happens across the country. 
And there's multiple additional levels at the local level. It could be county commission. It could be, you know, uh, city council districts that will happen um, in the future. But at the juncture that we're in now, we're redrawing in the state of New York, the congressional at the federal level, and then the state uh, assembly and the state senate districts. And aside from at the congressional level, which first we have apportionment, and we saw what those numbers were, um, the country as a whole has 435 congressional representatives. You take the total population of each state and you divide that in order to provide, and there's a formula in order to provide a total number of allocated seats uh, to the state. New York State lost one congressional seat. At least for me, that's amazing because we've been losing two since I started this practice. And since the 50s, we've been uh, losing two. So that means we lose two representatives in Congress uh, for the state of New York. But this cycle in the 2020, after the 2020 decennial census, amazing work by all the partners across the state, uh, we only lost one congressional seat. And that is through an incredible, that was through a pandemic that we were able to at least hold on and not lose more than one uh, seat. Population growth uh, downstate fueled the full growth. And so we will now be redrawing and balancing out populations instead of 26 districts. I mean, instead of 27 districts, right? We have 27 representatives now, we're gonna lose one. So someone's gotta go and we're gonna redraw to adjust as equal by one person, 26 districts. That's about 776, 776,000 approximately. Nine, I think the number is 776,971. I'm sorry, I don't have the number in front of me. But 776,971 um, is the number of people that have to be in each congressional seat. In the state Senate, um, you know, we have to do the same thing for Senate and Assembly. You take the total number of Senate districts, which are 63 right now, and hopefully, you know, we'll keep 63 because there's this complicated mathematical formula that uh, folks will be voting on tomorrow to ensure that we keep it at 63. Um, but you take the total population of the city of New York and you divide it by 63 and that's the ideal number um, for uh, state Senate. And then you have an ideal number for your state assembly. Um, you do the same thing, divided by 150 districts across the country, I mean, across the state, and you get the number of people that have to be in each one. Depending on um, who lost population and who gained population, well, we adjust the political district, the political boundaries. And so some people are like, well, last time I voted for so-and-so, and now I'm across the street and I vote for this other person. And that's pretty much where you get that from. Every 10 years, only every 10 years, do you make those adjustments based on the census numbers? So you can have 30 high rises that go up in a district and the districts won't change, but you'll have more people in a district for 10 years, right? Depending on when that high rise shows up. Um, and so that elected official will have an additional number of people that they represent. Um, right now in the state of New York, there's something that it happened in 2014 called the Independent Redistricting Commission. I won't make any judgments, just purely factual. There's this um, group of people that were appointed by the different political, um, the different leaders within the state Senate and assembly um, and both parties, they've appointed these independent individuals and I put quotation marks because <laughs> that's how I feel, uh, but they appoint them. And then these individuals are supposed to present plans which they have two separate sets of plans have been presented those sets of plans, um, hopefully, eventually, after the next round of hearings, uh, one plan is supposed to go to the legislature for a vote. That's what's supposed to happen. Um, 
And then we have these brand new districts that then people run in and, and that's the process. As of right now, um, I don't know if that process is actually gonna play out that way, but that's a different part of the conversation. Thank you, Lucia. And by the way, we lost one congressional seat, but it wasn't by a lot, right? I mean, it, 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 was, it was a very mm -hmm. small number when we think about what we lost in comparison to by how much we lost it by am I, am I right I, I don't remember the exact number like 89 89 some, oh. yeah, 88 89 87 we lost That's that is sad. something and 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 Lucia you point out some of the challenges the, the pandemic was obviously a clear challenge but the other part is um and I think this cannot be denied is that we we really didn't have much support for the entire census census initiative by the person that was occupying the White House at the time. Um, I mean, I think in terms of uh, the, the timing and and I don't remember if the, the funding didn't some, go would, some would argue that we didn't have the support from the person occupying, you know, the state. Uh, mm -hmm. So like, you know, money did not get distributed in time. There was, you know, there was a, a log. So I would say at the state level, we also didn't have the same kind of support that we could have gotten. I mean, how many times did we show up? This is a whole other, but how many times did, you know, folks not get on public television, right? Get on you know, TV. And I don't recall there being much of anything. Don't forget yeah. to census. Yes, we're in the middle of pandemic. All the more reason why you should be in front of your census form. And we had people getting a lot of attention and I don't recall that. Mm, I know I would have noticed. Yeah, And I think the sad thing is that we can all basically like look up in our phones, start calling some people and between the four of us, we can get to 89. Um, and if we think about it, like Lucia was saying, most of the growth in the population in New York state was black and brown communities, right? And we lost a congressional seat. So what that really translates into is less representation for black and brown communities in Congress. And that's why this is so important for us. 89 people didn't get counted and we lost one seat. And like Lucia has been saying, it's kind of like a miracle because we've been losing two seats in the 50s. I, I mean, to me, that's insane. And, and again, the, the state's population keeps growing, but not proportionally, right? It's more black and brown communities that are growing. So again, when we're losing representation, that's what it translates to. And, and, and that's where I want to head because that, uh, Frederick, that was su such an important point. Uh, th there is a lot at stake for black and brown communities. And, and, and in this episode, I, I especially want to highlight uh, our Latino, Latina communities. And again, there's so much at stake. Uh, Carlos, uh, you, you've done extensive work around this area, not just now, but over the years. We are, we are grateful for your work, uh, the work of the Centro for so, so long. And, and I know perhaps you, you will share a little bit. I, I know uh, the Centro the uh, Estudios Puerto Ricanos is going to release uh, a document soon around around this issue. So, so Carlos, if you can just share a little bit uh, about what what Frederick points out, and again, what this means, especially for Latino communities around the state, but especially in, in the city of New York, because as we know, uh, Latino communities are more concentrated, right, in 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 La Gran Manzana. So, Carlos, if you can just share. If New York State did not lose any more population or, you know, did not lose rather uh, an additional member of Congress, it was because of Latinos overwhelmingly. Also the Asian population. 
Hispanics contributed more than half a million people to the state population. Asian Americans or the Asian population also increased by more than half a million, right? So it is these two groups that have driven the growth of the uh, uh, state population. Had it not been for these two groups and we were relying simply on the non-Hispanic white population, well, you know, more than 700,000 people who identify as non-Hispanic white uh, uh, are no longer in the state of New York. And uh, uh, as Frederick pointed out, the bulk of the growth took place in the five boroughs of New York City and in adjacent counties to New York City. Population losses happened overwhelmingly upstate, just north of Westchester County, north of uh, Rockland County, you had by and large population losses all across the board. There are a few counties, about five, six, seven counties of state that gained population, but by and large, they lost population. And what we've seen is that, again, by 89 people, we were not able to retain that 27th uh, member of Congress. And it was, you know, it, it, it underscores the importance of responding to the census. I know that there has been a lot of reluctance on the part of Hispanics. I think that there has been a lot of reluctance on the part of government officials, some government officials, to count Hispanics and other people of color. Um, and, and now we are seeing the result. Uh, right now, we need to make sure that as a result of these large population changes, uh, whose epicenter in terms of growth have taken place downstate, that the political power is distributed fairly, equitably, taking into account that the growth of the population has taken place downstate. Unfortunately, the plans that the Independent Redistricting Commission has released, these are drafts, this is not a done deal, but these drafts inform policy moving forward. They undermine Hispanic political power. They dilute, uh, the Hispanic population in several Hispanic majority districts. They reduce the likelihood of Hispanic representation in neighborhoods that have recently achieved Hispanic representation. And actually it attempts to eliminate uh, at least one Hispanic uh, uh, district, you know, uh, uh, in one of the plans. So the plans that have been presently uh, 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 released by, independent, uh, by the Independent Redistricting Commission undermines uh, Hispanic political power, uh, ironically, in spite of the population growth uh, by the Hispanic population. Carlos, I'm, I wanna ask a question and, and, and anyone can chime in. Um, I, I know this has come up, Lucia, in, in our own conversation separately, but this, the, the diluting the Latino political power, right? Carlos, you, you bring up such an important point there. Uh, so my, my question is, we, we have, there, there are two sets of plans, am I right? By the Independent Redistricting Commission. Uh, so my, my question is, do both plans uh, seek to reduce Latino political representation? Or is there a threat to it from both plans? Uh, there, there's a threat from both plans. However, one is more egregious in undermining Hispanic political representation than the other one. Uh, the one term, uh, the one that uh, 
it's also very confusing how it is that they have uh, drawn them. Uh, one is a names uh, plan because they assign names to each district. Uh, that is the one that definitely eliminates uh, one district currently represented by a Hispanic member of the House of Representatives. Uh, but even the numbers, uh, or rather the letters uh, plan, uh, makes it difficult for that particular member of Congress to, uh, uh, if that member decides to run again, uh, to have a, 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 as easy a path as he might have under the current uh, boundaries. Hmm. Let me add to that, right? It really isn't about the individual incumbents. It's so much as what is a community able, is the Latino community able to elect their candidate of choice? And are our communities not broken up or significantly diluted so as not to give those communities a real voice in determining who the person that does get elected is, right? I mean, in this case, I think you're referring to AOC's district and in that, in both scenarios, right? It like, sure, you know, there's diverse opinions about the individual incumbent, but this district for so long has been home to like, a diverse group of immigrant communities, a growing uh, community of homeowners of Latinos across the Bronx. I mean, and when it entered the Bronx in the last decennial cycle, it was purposely done because we needed to ensure that we had communities that could coalesce around similar issues, that you know, uh, they were neighboring, I mean, and it's surrounded by districts that are protected under the Voting Rights Act. So there's a lot of um, specific um, ways in which the U.S. Constitution, as well as ways in which um, we're supposed to be using criteria, protects enclaves and protects growing communities of Latinos across the state of New York. And so because of those things, you know, protecting communities that, that vote together, that think alike, that act alike, that, that engage in, in similar industries of work, in similar, you know, using similar forms of transportation. These are all methods of understanding and analyzing community interests that it's obvious that the commission uh, was not, is not quite privy to, and perhaps did not receive enough, um, not just input, but insight as to where they should be going on behalf of people knowledgeable from the Latino community. Uh, if I may add to, to what uh, Lucia has so eloquently uh, described, uh, we also talk about diluting Hispanic political power uh, by reducing the amount of political representation uh, Hispanic have at the county level. Right now, the Hispanic majority county in the state of New York is Bronx County, right? The Bronx is 54%, nearly 55% Hispanic. And it is currently under the uh, present boundaries uh, represented at least partially by four members of Congress. One of the plans eliminates altogether one of those uh, districts. So the district that is most Hispanic, having right now four members of Congress representing at least parts of the, uh, of the, of the county, uh, you know, th that county would lose political power by eliminating one of the districts out, right? Other uh, counties in the state of New York, uh, Queens County, Queens County had a tremendous growth in its Hispanic population. So, you know, uh, have, you know, pretty much every county in the state had an increase in the Hispanic population, say for three, right? 
and you know, uh, uh, and they were as a result of uh, gentrification, right? Uh, so right now, uh, by focusing on the representation that accounted, the representation that some neighborhoods that have been represented by Hispanic or uh, 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 non-Hispanic Black uh, elector officials, what until recently that had not been the case, you know, it, it, it would undermine the strides that we have been making over the decades. And, and just to, you know, sometimes when we talk about redistricting, it can seem like, you know, something that we cannot grasp. It can be something like academic or it's kind of like difficult for us to picture in our head. So let me try to use like some imagery to see if we can kind of like talk about what we're doing. Right. So I, I we're about to get into the holidays. So I'm starting to think about flan. Right. So let's think about this big piece of flan. And we can say that Washington Heights is that plan. Right. So there's a million ways that you can cut a cake. There's a million ways that you can cut a district. Right but there's only a few ways that you can do it in a way that's fair for everyone, that everyone can get a portion that's theirs, right? You could cut it in a way that your tia that likes a lot of flan will get a bigger piece, but that's not necessarily fair. And again, I know that it's kind of like a crude imagery that we're using here, um, but the idea is that because we don't have federal government kind of like putting in some guidelines that apply to all states, we don't have those protections where I don't know, like the abuela can say, no, 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 no. We need to be fair and everyone has to be the same piece. So that's what's happening. Um, and, and what Lucia is alluding to and Carlos too is that we have people that are making these decisions that don't necessarily know how to cut the cake. They don't necessarily know how to cut the district in a way that's fair, that's representative, that's gonna help our communities stay in power, right? Or have the, the representation that we deserve because of how our population has grown. Um, and that takes us to why we need to participate. Right. If we have people in charge that don't necessarily understand our communities, that don't know where the boundaries of those communities start and end, where we can come in together, well, then what's going to happen is that that cake, that flan, that district, right, is going to be cut in ways that is not proportional, that's not good for us. Um, when I worked for, for Congressman Serrano's office, I always remember that I came in and um, we were the 16th district. Um, or the 17th district. And then right in 2012, we went into the into the 15th. And we we kind of find like a joking way to tell people about the effects of redistricting because before that, we had the whole of the Bronx Zoo in our district. And our joke was that because of redistricting, now we only kept the zebras and the hippos and the elephants and then Angle got the other ones, right? And you might think, well, Frederick, what does that have to do with anything? Well, when the Bronx Zoo needed representation at the congressional level, they would only have to come to Congressman Serrano's office. Well, after redistricting, they needed to start going to two different offices because the Sioux actually fell into two districts. And again, that's just a way of kind of like putting out an image or an example of how things can happen. Now, think of it at the community level. You might want to have, you might want to solve something with your neighbor from the front of the street, but you might be districted in a way that now you need to go to two representatives or two senators instead of going to the one person that knows the community, that understand what the struggles and issues are. And that's why it's so important for us to get involved in this. You know, I, I, I imagine, <clears throat> I hope at least, I should say, I hope that some of the uh, independent redistricting commission members are listening to this podcast. So what, what, what would you say would be a, an equitable way um, to, to respond to this uh, shifting, population shifting that we have seen. Carlos, you pointed out that in upstate we have we have lost uh, population, but we have gained in New York City, right? Carlos, so uh, 
so what would be a, a fair way to to respond to these changes? I mean, do we take out something uh, upstate? Do we take out the congressional seat up there? So how, how, how can this be done in a way that's, that's just and fair? The process precisely because we have lost uh, one congressional seat is going to be invidious. Somebody's going to lose out. But it is certainly not equitable, nor fair, nor just that New York City has to lose out that one congressional district. And the one congressional district that is being uh, uh, represented by a Hispanic member of Congress. That would be patently unfair. It would be ironic. And under different circumstances, it would be illegal. We have to remember that right now, we are going, we are undergoing this redistricting process outside of the purview of the Voting Rights Act insofar as the preclearance uh, 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 um, um, subsection of the Voting Rights Act no longer applies. Had it applied, if any redistricting plan would have to be reviewed by the US Justice Department because Bronx County, New York County, and Kings County have historically engaged in activities that have undermined the right to vote of minority citizens. But because we don't, no longer have that protection, now we have to engage in that protection ourselves politically. So number one, the population needs to know that this is happening. And you know we have worked certainly since the spring, as soon as we were able to get some information uh, from the census, uh, you know, we have worked uh, alongside the uh, Puerto Rican Legal Defense and Education uh, Fund, uh, Latino Justice, Lucia Gomez uh, graciously assisted us in the process as well in trying to inform the population of these changes taking place. Uh, number, one, number one. Number two, people have the right, and I would say the obligation, to go before the Independent Redistricting Commission and express their opinions about the plans that are being submitted and also mobilize their elected officials to become active in the process, particularly those at the state level, to become active in overseeing what is happening with the redistricting commission, since ultimately they will have to vote on these plans. So I would say um, it is possible to draw and absolutely protect um, both um, you know, seats that the communities, both Black, Latino, and Asian that are protected classes under the, the Voting Rights Act um, are not diluted. I think it's doable. I think um, there's definitely a combination of uh, what's being done. Um, and there's definitely a better way than what the names and letters both, um, you know, pretend to do. Uh, one, by not just ignoring the fact that there are representatives in, in um, in the Bronx, and I would say it's, yeah, four, Bowman, Espaillat, Torres, and AOC. Um, you know, it's math, right? Like Long Island, you know, should probably be taking a quarter of a population, you know, um, slightly uh, a quarter of one of the congressional seats um, into, uh, from Manhattan. So there's going to be a little bit more coming in from Long Island, taking from, from Manhattan, but absolutely not should, you know, we fueled the entire census, you know, numbers by over 800,000 people. 
um, the state of, you know, the city of New York fueled it by over 800,000 people. That's the size of a congressional seat. Absolutely not will New York or should New York ever see anything coming out of our boundaries. Um, you know, so, you know, I do, uh, you know, see New York City not losing one. Where that loss happens might be divvied up between part loss, you know, if you, if from Long Island, you know, um, having to take in more of New York City and then absolutely part loss um, from the upstate portions that did not have the growth on the country, they had loss. Uh, right, so that will, will definitely need to see a better way of drawing those lines. And then, you know, it's not easy, right? New York City is very populous in certain parts, and then other parts there are areas that are homeowners. And so, to get the congressional seats down to one person, right, uh, give or take between the district, this is like uh, it's mathematical, like you know, impossibilities. But we, you know, pick up one block, you know pick up another one and then you have to try to ensure that those get matched up. So it's really fun uh, for all those demographers that go out of their way to do that. I would say what's hugely at stake is that once again, we put forward uh, maps are, are created by this independent redistricting commission, even though they have not created one, but that if they, if they fail to produce you know, one set of plans, that the very people and Carlos, you know, the very people you're asking for them to get engaged are the ones that will in fact draw and then vote on their own plans, right? So elected officials who should be elected into positions by public, you know, by, by the voters will in fact be in charge of, you know, figuring out which voters will go into their districts. And so I think it's been really fascinating to see how they've allowed, the, we haven't heard many voices, which is not a negative, right? No one wants too much engagement and you know, a little bit, it's like a balancing act from the very people who will potentially be responsible for drawing, they will also get sued if they do the wrong thing. And so less is more in this scenario uh, for sitting incumbents as you know districts get drawn. I do say that um, this is such a, a tricky process, uh, both for balancing math you know, and need of communities and uh, legal realities, because there are um, you know, court cases and prior um, imp, you know, prior processes that dictate what New York can and cannot do based on, you know, possibilities of going into litigation that could delay the process. First time ever that we're going to see a redistricting process uh, so close to the electoral, to the elections, because first time we're going to see the elections in June, not just by the congressional reps, but by the state Senate and assembly. So it's actually going to be the first time if they accomplish it that the legislature, at least in my processes in the last two times, uh, the legislature hasn't drawn the congressional maps. The maps have been drawn by the courts because they just haven't had enough time to get to it. If you can't agree on state Senate and assembly, you think that body is going to agree on their, you know, their, their colleagues in Congress? Like that's hard, you know? So I don't see it playing out this way this time, maybe because um, you know, it's the same party um, in Albany right now that they'll, they'll decide for their friends in, in, in Congress. Um, you know, for that, for that body, the 26 members that will stick around. But a lot is still unknown, I believe, in this process because we have not seen one set of plans that we can comment on. We've seen two very much based on partisan lines. And, you know, we haven't seen this, uh, you know, independent redistricting commission really be independent um, for the you know, full scope of the state as they've been charged to do. So it's quite possible that this may not end with the legislature. 
it's impossible this will not end with the independent redistricting commission which is supposed to end with their plans going to the legislature and the legislative voting and passing them it is very possible and we see this happen in new jersey all the time this you know sort of you know independent redistricting commission but they they put into their process a um a tiebreaker someone that comes in and sides either with the republicans or the democrats because it's so partisan so whoever put this you know i know i remember when this happened 2014 they just missed the they missed the the point of this process. It is highly political. We understand it to be so, and you you should factor in you know things like a tiebreaker, like in New Jersey. You know that that's supposed to be part of the problem. Well, we'll fix it, right? Um, instead, what we're going to have is a legislature drawing plans and then a legislature passing their own plans. Yeah, I, I foresee that, and that and I can't predict elections, but I can probably predict processes. <laughs> Well, we, we shall soon see, but let, let me, and, and this, I think this will be our last question. Uh, we have about 10 minutes left, a little bit less than 10 minutes, but we, we have already heard how much is at stake here, especially for um, minoritized communities, right? And, and in our case, we, we want to highlight the, the Latino community. And, and we see that both plans that we have right now uh, can negatively impact Latino communities. Uh, Frederick, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you can chime in here, but what are what can be done, right? And, and I know at the Hispanic Federation, there's some things happening. Um, I understand there's an academy that's being put together um, and, and, and that you are conceiving. So what, what can be done? I mean, obviously, I think as Latinos, we, we want to make sure that that we are that we are taking seriously. Carlos pointed out uh, the numbers right are clear. Uh, the, there's a population growth among Latinos and Latinos and Asians uh, representing the biggest chunk. So, uh, so what's happening? What what can be done, especially in our communities, uh, to to ensure that we have uh, fair lines drawn out? So, so I think the first thing that we can do, and, and Lucia um, alluded to this before, and also in, in kind of like a meeting that we had um, with some of the groups that are doing redistricting um, last week, and it's we, we, need to, we need to testify, you know, we need to provide testimony. And we actually are going to have an opportunity to do that in the next coming weeks as the Independent Redistricting Commission is doing the second round of hearings on these maps so that we can do comment. Now, the, the good thing is that I'm saying, hey, we can do testimony, right? But like... Sometimes you're like, oh my God, testimony, what is it? Like, does it sound complicated? Do I need to like go in a suit and a tie and talk in academic terms? So that was one of the struggles that I personally had because like, oh, like to see, I, this is my first redistricting um, experience ever. And I feel that I'm learning so much just listening to Carlos and Lucia right now talk about this. Um, so when we were doing research, we found on, on redistricting, we found two things. There's um, a lack of resources in Spanish. There's a serious lack of resources in Spanish. Even finding a widely used word for redistricting in Spanish was hard for us. Um, and then there's also a lot of people that might want to do things about redistricting and provide testimony, but don't necessarily know how to do how to do it, when to do it, or kind of like understand the process a little bit more to be able to feel comfortable providing testimony. So um, we created um, the Redistricting Academy and it's actually launched right now. You can go to redistrictingacademy.org or anyone that wants to go in Spanish can go to redistribucionlegislativa.org 
and they can actually um, access pre-recorded videos that explain the congressional redistricting process. We already have also a video by our director of civic engagement in New York, Emily Baez, that explains the New York redistricting process in both English and Spanish. And we're gonna keep adding um, resources there so that you have also resources of learning how to testify, learning a little bit more about gerrymandering, about the different tactics that um, bad faith actors use to basically um, take us out of power or, or you know, make sure that we don't have the representation. Um, and the idea is that, again, we're going to keep adding more and more resources because, um, you know, we're, we're talking about the congressional state um, redistricting process. But as soon as that one ends, we also we, we need to like also pay attention to the city council redistricting process that also starts next year. And I don't want to sound any alarm bells, right, because it's it's wow, another redistricting process. But the idea here is that we start creating a culture of, of our community participating and understanding this because just uh, and, and I'll stay and I'll stop with this right but just think about decisions that you make that last 10 years there's very uh, there's not a lot of decisions that we make in our lifetime that are going to affect our life for 10 years but redistricting which we don't make right it's, it's a body of, of commissioner that does it that does affect us for the next 10 years that affects our communities our, our schools our kids so for us it's very, very important that we participate because if we don't, we're not going to have an opportunity until 2028, 2029. And, and that's really what, what we, we need to do. And if there's something that proved the importance of civic participation this year, especially when it comes to local officials, is the pandemic, right? Think of all the decisions made by state and local officials that affected our life. Some of them did represent us. Some of them we might feel that we didn't. But this is a way for us to fight for that representation and make sure that elected officials understand where we're coming from. And, and Eli, let me just add that in the city of New York, we're not so much of a minority anymore. I mean, like when, you know, non-Hispanic whites make up 30% of the city, you know, and I'm alluding to city council. And even when we talk about, you know, state legislature, like Latinos are 28% of the city of New York, you know, um, we're pretty much spread out. I see it from the, you know, the new growing populations in Glendale, Massbeth, Ridgewood, right? Like, you know, outside of your traditional Jackson Heights, Corona, you know, um, Elmhurst areas with, you know, with the growing Asian community there. But, you know, we lived in traditional Washington Heights, Sunset Park, right? But we're in Bensonhurst. We're moving in parts of the city that, you know, we're just spreading out all over the place. And so, you know, I would say that if anything, we have a hell of a lot to lose if we're not captured in a way that represents, you know, how we how we function as a community, not just, you know, what we look like and what our demographics are like, but how we vote and what our patterns are and how we turn out and, you know, our political maturity in so many places, not to be dismantled, not to be looked at as just pure numbers, but we're communities that contribute to the city and that contribute to the state all throughout. You see major growth in Westchester and Long Island and other and up in, you know, in other parts of Rockland and the Hudson Valley um, that should be captured in order to ensure that our communities have a real say in, you know, for the next 10 years in the different uh, public policy issues and that they're heard because they're, they're kept together and they're not fractured in so many bits and pieces. Yes. Amen, Lucia. Let me, I'm, I'm going to give Carlos the last word, but I, I just want to quickly point out, uh, um, Frederick gave out a, an, a website with the Hispanic Federation and what they're doing with the Academy. Uh, you can also go to centropr.hunter.com. Uh, 
cuny.edu, the Centro of uh, Puerto Rican Studies is going to release this report in the coming days. So we want to make sure everyone can see that. You can also go to latinojustice.org and uh, get information there regarding redistricting and implications of such for the Latino community. Uh, And they will be proposing proposing, uh, plans in conjunction with the Center for Law and Social Justice and the Asian American Defense Fund that are like unity plans, plans that, you know, demonstrate a way of being able to ensure that all communities, you know, are not negatively impacted. Thank you for that, Lucia. And Carlos, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, I also wanted to provide an additional resource. Uh, New York Law School uh, has created an institute, the New York Census and Redistricting Institute, and they have also a wealth of information that for people interested in the nitty gritty of redistricting, they can go to and learn more about it. Uh, I just want to conclude that, you know, we tend to focus on New York City. This is our home for most of us. Uh, uh, But, you know, this is not the only place where Hispanic live. You know, we have, we, we live in Westchester, we live in Delaware County, we live in uh, uh, Sullivan County. Uh, you know, we are spreading all over Long Island and upstate New York. We are contributing to the growth of the state. And we also need to contribute to the political life of the state beyond New York City in the county legislatures at the congressional level, absolutely. Right. and at the state uh, uh, in Albany. So we need to become more involved uh, in our city politics, in our school board politics, uh, just so we can be part so that our voices and our interests are presented and represented at all these levels. Thank you, Carlos, and thank you, Lucia and Frederick for being part of this important conversation. We will keep our eyes and ears open as this important process continues to unfold. As we have mentioned, the Independent Redistricting Commission will be holding hearings and for those that are interested in following the meetings and or participating in this process are invited to visit the commission's website for more details. You can visit nyirc.gov for more information. Again, that's nyirc.gov. Thank you for listening. And until next time, this is Eli Valentin for Gotham Gazette.